Hello and welcome to the EIC Scaling Club podcast, where we share interesting insights from leading European deep tech entrepreneurs, investors, and industry experts. You've come to the right place. Now sit back and enjoy the podcast. This is Robin Walters from Tech.eu and the EIC Scaling Club. I am here in Warsaw for the OTB Venture Summit. Uh, and I'm sitting down with one of their portfolio companies, uh, Luc Biguet. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called ClearSpace. And what they do is clean up space. Luc, why does space need cleaning up at all? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Well, space is actually not having any capability of maintenance integrated into, this, into the system. So the, the, this means that there's no way to intervene in orbit and to save a satellite, repair it, uh, maintain it, um, or intervene on it in general. The side effect of that is that we have a lot of debris today. It's a little like if you have a, a large motorway network that operates for 60 years without a tow truck. So it would be full of broken cars everywhere. There will be debris everywhere of collisions because there's no way to remove it. And uh, this is where we stand in the space industry. And today we are at the phase where it's, it becomes absolutely indispensable to change the way we operate in space because at the same time as we don't have um, the servicing capabilities and a lot of debris that are growing in, in, in quantity, in, in, uh, in, in quantity, we also have a very rapidly accelerating space industry where the traffic is increasing dramatically. Can you put some numbers to that? Like how big is the problem? How how polluted or how crowded is space at the moment? So t today, and it might sound like just a few, a very small number at first sight, but we have about uh, 5,000 full objects in orbit that are lost, right? In average from the, the, the 2000 up to 2018, we lost in space about 74 new large objects every year. Um, but then those objects tend to fragment. So there's fragment more than 10 centimeters. You've got about 30,000. Then more than, than one centimeters, you've got hundreds of thousands and millimeter size, which are as dangerous as larger objects and not traceable. Uh, you've got millions of them. So the quantity at the end of small object is very big. And, and the fragmentation makes that this population grows very rapidly and depends a lot on the larger object. So we need to address the large ones first. Then at the same time, uh, from 2000 to 2015, we launched an average 100 to 150 satellites per year. Last year, we launched 2,500. So you can see how the dynamic has changed. Yeah, yeah definitely growing at a rapid clip. Um, I'm guessing people bring up the movie Gravity uh, quite often, uh, the movie with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Is that actually a plausible scenario? Well, th there's, there's, there's some truth and some science fiction in gravity. Uh, th there's, uh, the, the impact of a collision is brutal. I mean, a collision orbit, 28,000 kilometers per hour for, for an object, uh, one collision is absolutely brutal. There's a lot of things in the, in the movie which are incorrect. First of all, the orbits are obviously not correct because all those objects are not in compatible orbits. Um, and then you would typically not have those debris so close together as you see during the first collision. They would be spread much more apart. So you'd probably be hit just by one, right? But uh, but the concept and the idea behind it is definitely a, a serious risk we have for the future. Insane. Um, now, what, what's the background of the company? How was it founded? When and by whom? So the, the company actually is a spin-off from the EPFN in Lausanne. And it really started in 2009 because in 2009, my co-founder launched a CubeSat with 250 students um, into straight into the field of debris of the Cosmos Iridium collisions, a collision between two satellites that actually uh, uh, inspired the movie Gravity. 
and uh, and this triggered uh, work inside of of EPFL, and especially led by by Muriel, my co-founder, to find a way to demonstrate how you can build a tow truck for space and and intervene in orbit and remove those space debris. And she's been working for years on that until uh, we met about the same time as OneWeb got funded. Uh, for a large constellation, and we realized at that time that we needed to go much faster. It could not be done in academia. We needed a startup, and we decided to spin off and created ClearSpace in 2018. And we kind of pushed into it by the ESABIC program, right? We had our ideas about what to do. And um, our take was we would have to be ready to make orbit in 2026 because that's a moment where uh, kind of the perfect storm where large constellation will require more license, launching state will have a problem because they're liable, and uh, and at the same time there's more and more money made in in low Earth orbit, which means that it shifts from a center of cost to a center of profit, and the liability increases for launching states which carry them, and so we thought we have to be ready by then. Um, our take was that there will not be a tender before 2023 for a mission to the orbit debris, and we created in January. 2018, so we're really early to to the to the battle. Uh, but then in September, we received a tender from the European Space Agency for the first mission to demonstrate an autonomous removal of a debris. And uh, with our team, a very small team, we decided to submit and won the tender. So that, that that brought us essentially to a much faster growth than what we expected initially. Great, and you also serve as an excellent example of a a deep tech a space tech company in this uh, in this case coming from academia, coming basically from the research side of things, but actually making it to market. So how difficult is that to do in Europe in general, in your view? I think one thing that is really interesting uh, in Europe is that we have incredible base of talents and competences and innovation. We're really good at tech, right? And probably better than the Americans, to my sense. And actually, if you look at the the Hyperloop competition, it's always Germans that win it every year, right? And the first in the top winners are always European European teams because we have amazing engineers. We have amazing engineers, but what we lack is ambition, right? In, in, in my take, often we, we, we have been drilled to not make mistake and we lack the vision and the ambition to, to try it anyways, right? And one of the things we did differently, I think, is that we kind of ignored the fact that everybody would say it's impossible and just focused on the problem and tried to solve it. Same for the tender with ESA. When I, we started writing the answer to the tender of ESA for a 100 million mission with a team of four, uh, multiple experts from the space industry came to see me and told me, you're losing your time. You, you're just wasting your time. They're gonna, never going to select you. We went through the complete process and we won the tender in competition with Airbus, Thales and Avio. And and then after that, everybody told us it's impossible to get the funding from European member states. If you're a startup, you have no heritage. And we did that, too. We were oversubscribed by 40 percent. So I think often people, the, the reason why projects are not done in Europe is not because we're not able to. It's because we just don't believe it's feasible. Yeah. A good message to all the listeners out there. Nothing is impossible and ClearSpace proves it. Um, now, and at the same uh, time, we were talking about uh, about this earlier, but you, you do have competition. And one of your competitors raised, I think you said, $400 million. You raised 31 uh, million euros so far. Is that the downside then of being in Europe, that you don't have the, that, that capital and that, that appetite for risk in the investment community? So I, I think, I think it, 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 is, it is more difficult. Right when you start, uh, it it is a different profile of investor we have in Europe in general. I think it's changing as well. 
it's a different profile of investors. Um, There's also a choice on our side, right? How much funds we raise by when. We had discussion early on with some some people that told me, why don't you just raise 100 million? I can help you raise 100 million, right? And uh, at the time, what we respond is that if I would have 100 million in the account, I would not be ready to actually maximize the the bang for the buck. At, At the time, I was just not ready to handle this amount and I would have wasted a lot of it. Uh, what's different between us and our competitor is the structure of our funding. We have more than 100 million in contracts and we have 30 million in equity and they have 400 million in equity and maybe they have, I don't know, 20 million in contracts. So it's a very different approach to how you fund what you do. Uh, And it's a choice we made. We try to make sure as much as possible of our funding is non-dilutive and comes either from projects, which brings us more than just money, uh, or comes from sponsorship that helps us make a better communication. If we do a good communication, we attract better talents, we attract more funding, we attract more support, and we produce the change in the in the policies, in public opinion, and then policies we want to see in the future. Great. Well, great journey that you're on. Uh, it was a pleasure meeting you, and I wish you all the best for the future with ClearSpace. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the EIC Scaling Club podcast. For more interesting insights on European deep tech, subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and our newsletter on EICScalingClub.eu. See you.